the Sanzar judicial process from the legal side of it. We often uh, receive emails, heavily legalised, and, and you and I at home, we, you know, we're nuts and bolts. We worried about uh, rucks and malls, so on and so forth. But uh, there's been plenty of discussion in the last couple of days after a couple of uh, sanction a man who knows this area well. And we do appreciate his time and uh, insights. Uh, he from uh, Minter Ellison Rudd Watts, where he is uh, partner in uh, dispute uh, resolution and litigation. I hope I got that right, Aaron Lloyd. Thanks for joining us here on Radio Sport. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, Daniel, but <laughs> yep, that's where I'm at, and I'm, I'm pleased to join you. Mate, your business card must be an A4 or something, you know, with, with a title like that. Mate, we just we just call ourselves partners and think that it, it means the world, so, you know, we'll just go with that. <laughs> but you are, what, legal representative of Owen Franks over the weekend. Uh, you do this a lot, don't you? This is not the the, the sole time. So can I, can I start with the process overall and what happens at these hearings? It seems it's done pretty quickly. Uh, and that those responsible have to take into consideration here. So uh, when I read things like the Foul Play Review Committee or uh, Judicial Committee identify any relevant off-field mitigating factors that come into calculation when determining what reduction in the period of suspension, if any, should supply. And they've neatly, Aaron, sort of listed them A through uh, F, going through those, A, the presence and timing of any acknowledgement of culpability by a player. Is that simply for us at home an early guilty plea? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So you acknowledge you've done wrong, we'll accept that. B and C are pretty self-explanatory, aren't they? A good record and or good character, the yeah. youth and experience of a player. So someone like Franks who's played so many games but has only been out once before. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's exactly right. The process varies depending on the competition. World Rugby set a standard, so they have a regulation called Regulation 17, Mm -hmm. one of the many World Rugby regulations. That regulation sets out the standard of how judicial processes should be conducted. And then they vary a little bit depending on whether you're in the professional game or the amateur game, competition to competition and so forth. Super Rugby publish a set of disciplinary rules, and that says effectively this. If you get a red card or you are cited by the citing commissioner, as you should have got a red card for something, then you go into the judicial process. And the first leg of that, if you like, is the Foul Play Review Committee, which you referred to, the FPRC. And what happens is they act like a triage unit, really. Um, or if you're, a, if you're a criminal lawyer, you'd be familiar, you're familiar with the concept of what's called sentence indication. And the idea is you go in front of the FPRC and you plead your case, and they give you what their initial view on it is. And if you think that's reasonable, you take it. Uh, and that deals with it, and it's dealt with you know, very quickly. And if you don't, if you don't like it, you sort of say thanks, but no thanks, and we'll go off to a, a full-blown hearing, which is then in person. So they actually, the Foul Play Review Committee hearing isn't really a hearing in the sense that you don't appear in front of them, you don't talk about it. What you do is you file a sort of a written submission in advance, and, and, and then they read it, and they think about it, and they get in touch with you. And not using a specific example, but say I'm playing over the weekend and, you know, I'm then cited. What what happens? I sit down with my coaches. We look at the video and we go, well, we're not so sure about that. Or they engage people like you, Aaron. You, you all go through it before, uh, you know, you accept any culpability. Yeah, it's a bit of both. At Super Rugby League now, I don't think there'd be a team that doesn't have a lawyer on call um, you know, just any lawyer, it'll be a lawyer who, you know, like me, does a lot of these hearings. Um, but actually, at the same time, the team manager and the coaches are all pretty experienced at this as well. So it's a bit of a team mix. So for me, the way I generally operate is I'll get a call 
the night of the game um, from the team manager, and he'll say one of our players has been sodded. So, you know, Joe Moody, take Joe Moody a couple of weeks ago with the Crusaders. They found out after the game that he'd been cited for a, a, an alleged strike to Kirtley Beale. Um, I get a call from the manager. He and I talk about it on the phone. I jump online and see what footage I can find either on the Senza um, website where they collect stuff for us or to log right. into, so sort of a private one. I have a look at it. I then arrange to talk with the player. I get an understanding around what actually happened because what actually happened is sometimes a bit different from what you think has happened just by looking at it on the, on the screen. Um, and then we spell it out in writing and flick it off to the uh, flick it off to the to the judiciary to the review committee. And um, and uh, and that's a sort of process that all, everyone's involved in. The coach is involved in. They'll put their uh, but in, I'm involved in, in the sense that I've yes. done enough now that I can sort of say, well, it looks to me like this is the situation. Is that right? Is there, is there anything new? But I, you know, I'm not a professional rugby player. I haven't been a professional rugby player. It's not a week that goes by where I don't get one of these where a player will say to me, oh, but what you're forgetting is this, or what you're forgetting is that. <laughs> and of course, I'm just, I'm just a punter outside looking at it, and I go, oh, gee, that didn't look good. And I'll go, yeah, but you've missed this, you know, and and. It turns out the game of rugby is quite complex. The players' conduct prior and to at the hearing, what does that really mean? Yeah, so essentially what, you know, so the factors you're going through are the factors that you take into account when you're determining the final sentence. So the way we'll rugby work the system is they say every offence has a starting point for for sentencing. So mm-hmm. assuming, assuming it was... Uh, uh, gets over what we call the red card threshold, which is was it a significant enough foul play that it would have got should have got a red card, or if it did get a red card that the red card was right. Then what you do is so take a strike with the arm, for example, which is the Moody the Moody example. Um, World Rugby Regulation 17 says a strike with the arm has a low end entry point of a two week suspension, a mid range entry point of four weeks, and a top end I think of eight or more depending on how serious it is. And so what you have to do is my first job. If I'm, if the player is accepting that he's breached the law, and we're accepting that it's at the red card level, then my first job is to to try and persuade the judiciary as to where in that scale it should start, low end, mid range, top end. Okay. Um, nowadays, strikes to the head are all starting at at least mid range, if not top end, because that's a directive from World Rugby. Because obviously the strikes to the head are absolutely. Um, to be trying to stop them out as much as we can. Yeah. Um, and then from there, the factors you're talking about come in. So, you know, so t- Moody, for example, mid-range, because it was a strike to the head. Um, the judiciary was persuaded that it, w- it wasn't with malice, it was reckless. Um, so it didn't deserve to go up from the from the mid-range as a starting point. So it starts mid-range at two weeks, and then you go, let's look at all the factors you're talking about. Let's look at the fact that he's accepting it as a early plea. Let's look at the fact that in the case of Joe Meadie, he'd never been in front of the judiciary before in over 150 games of first-class rugby, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the fact that um, in front of the judiciary, the one you just mentioned, in front of the judiciary, uh, which is a bit hard for the foul play review committee to judge, of course, because they don't hear from the player directly, but they see what he says in his statement. He's very candid about it. He's very respectful of the process. Okay. All those sorts of things go to contrition, I guess, and yep. those are the reasons why you say Essentially, first first time offender, give them give them give them the discount, and the presence of any remorse, and that leads us to the most recent developments: the discussion about whether Frank's made an apology to the player who was impacted. Uh, the foul play review committee did take into account mitigating factors, including the player's good record, 
uh, early guilty plea, all those things we've talked about. But it did outline Frank's remorse and apology to the player. So simply, did Frank's apologise to the player? So he, tr- he tried to, is the, is the situation. So I think what we've got there is the words that have been picked up probably aren't quite accurate. So um, so I acted for Owen, Frank's, um, and, and we're talking about the case from the weekend just gone in relation to James uh, Parsons. And Owen reached out to James. My understanding is I wasn't there, of course, so I rely on what I get told. But I'm told by Owen that it, after the game, he tried to he reached out to James to apologise. Now, James, by the sounds of it, wasn't in the mood um, to talk with him. And you can sort of understand why, right? So what the judiciary were told was exactly that. Owen Franks reached out to apologise. I understand James. I haven't seen it, but I understand James has come out and said, well, he hasn't apologised to me. And um, I suspect that that's right. But I think if everyone sort of pauses for a minute and, and everyone talks about it, I think you'll probably find that James will probably accept that he might have tried to. Um, and you know what? what? What do you do in that situation if you're Owen Franks? So you want to say sorry to the guy. Um, you're not you know, Owen Franks is Owen Franks. He's not a big social media kind of guy, right? He's not going to go out and post it all over his website or blog or whatever it is, because I don't think he does it. He's gone. So he goes to apologise to the guy. And in any event, it's a private thing, right? You don't, you know, it becomes a little bit cynical sometimes when it becomes a very public apology, I think. So he goes to apologise to the guy. The guy doesn't want to speak to him. What more do you do, right? You're not going to force an apology down his throat. You've got to respect. You've already clocked him. You've got to, you've got to respect the fact that he doesn't want to talk to you. Um, so you tell that we've told the judiciary that the judiciary may or may not be looking at it again. I think, but there's many modes of be there's many up. modes of communication. It could be a text. Um, it could be anything like that. So you're not saying that James Parsons is not telling the truth there. You're not implying no. that. But what you know, what is your responsibility to check the veracity of your client's version of events? Uh, for example, do you check with the, the other player? Like you go to to Parsons? No, I generally I generally don't do that. I generally wouldn't go to the other player because I don't want to be seen like I'm interfering with that process. I don't like the idea of going to another player to clarify what happened to him because it might be seen that I'm pressuring, might be seen improperly, that I'm pressuring him into doing something. And particularly for me and for some of the other lawyers in the space, you know, we know all of these guys because we act for, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to act for all of our Super Rugby teams. So I act for the Blues, you know, and I know and I know the Blues guys well. So I suppose I could pick up the phone and have a chat to them and say, hey, what exactly happened and has this happened and all that sort of stuff. But I don't do that because I don't want to be sit, I don't want to give anyone the opportunity to suggest I'm trying to influence that process. So I leave that for Sanzar. Sanzar will talk with the player um, who has been injured or, or or is the victim player. They'll get a medical statement from their doctor. Sanzar do all of that. Um, for me, what I do is just I have to quiz my player and say to him, right, what happened? You know, what did you do afterwards? And in the case of Owen, um, what did you do afterwards? Well, I, I approached him to apologise. Right? So that's what we said. And there's no point us going into the judiciary in detail around the fact that James didn't want to speak to him or anything like that at the time. You know, that's not, you know, that's not re- really relevant, to be honest. That's, you know, what's relevant is, you know, was Owen remorseful and, did he want to did he try to apologise to him? And the answer to those is yes and yes. Well, people would, could, though, Aaron, and correct me if you don't believe this, but you're thinking here, well, everyone can just say, I tried to apologise, even if yeah, they didn't. Correct. But, you know, then then if it, if it you know, we're sort of into a hypothetical here because I don't think there's any question that he didn't approach him. 
Um, you know, I think, you know, I understand actually that James has suggested that perhaps his comments were say, taken slightly out of context. Oh, he said, he, he's, he said he's never sought an apology. It was just he, yeah. he felt he never received one. Yeah. And it's an important because it's, it's outlined in the, sanction, uh, the judicial process by the authorities. Yeah, quite right. And I think there the question is, you know, did the press release that said that there was an apology as opposed to what was submitted to the committee, which was that he approached him? Or he reached out to give an apology. You know, is it that the press release is 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 not not quite right, right? And I think the answer to that is it probably was not quite right. The so they copied and pasted right. like they do every week, and they probably need a bit more diligent to reading the ins and outs of the actual specific. It falls to me too, though, right? Because you know what happens is Samza once. Once the Fair Play Review Committee has offered the sanction and it's been accepted, if it has been accepted, then Sanzo will circulate the draft press release and we get an opportunity to comment. And to be frank, I, I, when, I, when I saw the draft press release, I missed the fact that it said there was an apology instead of he had approached him to apologise. You're dancing a little bit on a pinhead there. <laughs> yeah. I can understand how it's come about, but I hope that everyone will just go, oh, right, so that's what's happened. That's fine. Um, what I don't, what I think would be a real shame is if people thought that you know, Owen's got a got away with something where he's misled someone. Well, he hasn't. He told the committee exactly how it was, which is that he reached out to apologise to him. Mm. Do you feel, and this is probably your own supposition, opinion, do you feel it's important that people apologise after this? What does it really matter? An act is an act, isn't it? Oh, no, look, I think it's really important. Um, you know, um, there, will be, there will be some instances that I have to deal with the players in the judicial setting where they have deliberately done something nasty and wrong. But those those instances are few and far between, right? And and even if it was a deliberate action, it'll often be a deliberate action that's sort of got the red mist you know, influencing it. I, I have yet to come across a situation where a player hasn't genuinely been remorseful about the fact that he's injured one of his fellow players um, or that he realises that he's stuffed up and he made a mistake. Um, and I think communicating that to the guy particularly if it's someone who gets injured, you know, to the, to the guy or the girl who gets injured in this context, um, you know, communicating that to them I think is important. You know, we can't lose sight of the fact that we're still playing a game which has a, a collegiality to it. You know, we, we are rugby people. And uh, so things like that I think are important. Mm. So to wrap this up, important to know you don't feel it's not a case of James Parsons not telling the truth. You, you just feel it lies somewhere in the middle here. Oh, I don't think James has said anything other than the truth at all. Um, uh, um, I, I, I understand that he said, look, I don't feel that I've received, I've received an apology. And it sounds like it's right. It doesn't mean Owen hasn't tried to. And I just hope that, you know, look, if people want to blow that up, then at least if, if they're going to blow it up, let's look at it, you know, in some detail so that people can see that actually it's a, it's a misunderstanding or a miscommunication. There's nothing nefarious in it. Well, hopefully we've done that and the audience is more enlightened. Aaron, thanks so much for stopping by. We do appreciate your time. Anytime, Daniel. Have a good afternoon. I'll give it a go. Uh, Aaron Lloyd uh, joining us there. He represented, uh, Owen Franks uh, represents a number of players in that situation. Uh, Partner at uh, Minter Allison Rudd-Watts.